Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in Medicine. I am your host, Jeremy Kaur. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Stephen Silberstein. He is here today to talk about his book, Navigating Life with Migraines and Other Headaches. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I want to thank you on behalf of myself and Dr. William Young, who together we wrote this book in conjunction with the American Academy of Neurology to provide reliable, updated information on patients with headache disorders. Steve, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling me a little bit about yourself. <clears throat> sure. I am Professor of Neurology and Director of the Headache Center at Thomas Jefferson University. In addition, I'm past president of the American Headache Society, and I am responsible for writing most of the guidelines for headache disorders in the United States. So what inspired you to write this book? Dr. Young and I had written a book a number of years ago on headache disorders, and we were approached by the American Academy of Neurology to update it and make it available and to be sure that people got the latest updated information on headache, and we thought it was important to do this project, and we did it. So what exactly is a migraine? The easiest way to describe a migraine, if you have a headache that comes and goes, that really is disabling, the overwhelming odds are it's migraine. People frequently have nausea or sensitivity to light or throbbing pain or pain that gets worse when you move. But the crucial issue is if you have a disabling headache, you must rule out migraine. How, how common are migraines? It's estimated in the United States there are over 40 million Americans with migraine, many of whom don't know they have it. Well, if it's in the front of their head, they'll think it's sinus headache. If it's in the back of their head, they'll think it's tension headache. They'll look for excuses. Well, I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. I ate the wrong food. Interestingly, patients will say that chocolate is a trigger for migraine. We've done studies looking at the association between chocolate and headache, and there's absolutely no real association. Then how come patients say that? Because people with migraine do things and get cravings. So you get a craving to eat chocolate, and then you get a chocolate, it's quote-induced headache later. You blame it on the chocolate, but it was the other way around. The migraine made you eat the chocolate. Can you talk about some of the ways the migraine affects quality of life? The World Health Organization says migraine is one of the most disabling disorders known to mankind. As bad as being paralyzed in your arms and your legs. Think about it. You can't stand the light. You move your head, the pain gets worse. You can vomit. So you want to retire to a dark, quiet room, and your brain is foggy. That's disabling. It ruins your life. It interferes with your ability to go out with your friends. 
It makes it unable to go to work. It makes you miserable. Can you talk about some of the stigma around headaches and uh, what can be done about it? When I started in the headache business a long time ago, people said, you want to do headache? And let me tell you why. It's interesting. The people with the most headaches in the world are neurologists. Despite that, they're the ones that don't give migraine its presence. You know why? Because they may have an occasional mild migraine headache, and they can't assume that their headaches are worse. And what's amazing is you find a sturgeon who says, oh, I don't believe in migraine. He gets a bad one. He can't operate. They change their mind. Two, there's a lot of mythology about migraine being a disorder of neurotic women. And migraine has this personality disorder. And I think, in fact, it's related to the fact that people with migraine were describing themselves. So if you see a patient with migraine as a neurologist without special training, it takes a lot of time to get better if you don't know what you're doing. But in my experience, when you have fellows and residents and students with you, and patients tell their life story about how for 10 years they couldn't function and now with the right selection of medicine, they barely have headaches and they've gotten their life back. It, it's like resurrection. I, I don't know what more to say. It's uh, absolutely amazing. Their lives have come back. What about the people who, say, for example, have migraines and they have to call off from work and it's not taken as seriously because it's, it's a headache? Can you talk a bit about that? That's an extremely important observation that people do not understand how bad migraine is. Um, so if they call in for work, they say, oh, this person's just taking the day off and blaming it on migraine. If you told somebody you broke your foot, they wouldn't mind you taking a day off, but the pain of migraine is much worse than the pain of a broken foot, since I've had both. So what you need to do, and Dr. Young, who co-wrote the book for me, is trying to eliminate the stigma associated with migraine. We want to make people realize that migraine is real, disabling, and can be helped. Let me talk about people blame patients with migraine for their headaches. So if you go out, you have a drink, and you get a headache from the alcohol, it's your fault because you drank, or you ate this kind of food, or you didn't do this, or you didn't do that. They make the assumption that people behaving properly will avoid having headache. Okay, that may be true in part, but in general, migraine is a disorder of the brain. And many of the things that we think trigger migraine are actually part of the migraine attack itself. So you say you didn't get a good night's sleep, you have a migraine, but maybe the symptoms of migraine wouldn't let you sleep. So you, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. you, ha- you have a desire to eat chocolate, eat chocolate, and you get a migraine headache. They blame you for the fact you ate chocolate and you don't have the discipline, the will not to do it, but in fact, the migraine made you eat chocolate. We have to make people aware of how bad migraine is. A while ago, a television reporter was on live television and suddenly couldn't speak with a phasic. People realize suddenly that, well, migraine's more than a headache. This woman can't talk. Other people with a migraine headache can become paralyzed. Other people with a migraine headache cannot speak or weak or dizzy, cannot stand, cannot think. 
Migraine is disabling, and we need to take it seriously. Let's dive in a little bit to the understanding of headaches. Uh, What is the difference between a primary headache and a secondary headache, and how are headaches diagnosed? A primary headache is a headache unto itself. I'll get to that in a minute. A secondary headache means that there's something else causing the headache. I take a hammer and hit in the head. You're going to have a headache. That is a secondary headache. You have a brain tumor or a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Those are causing the headache. But migraine is a disorder unto itself, and there's no external cause. We have criteria for diagnosing migraine. I'll go through them. They're a little complicated. The headache has to have one of four properties, one-sided, moderate, severe, throbbing, or aggravated by movement, and nausea or sensitivity, light, and sound. But to really make it simple, if you have a disabling headache and light bothers you, it's a migraine. Because by the fact it's disabling means you can't move and it's moderate or severe, and you have photophobia. So if you have a disabling headache and light bothers you and it lasts for hours or days and goes away, that's migraine. Can you talk a bit about the best way to manage headaches uh, all the way from preparing for the first appointment to finding a good specialist in dealing with the insurance? Sure. I think what is valuable for seeing somebody the first time for your headache is, one, bring all any studies you've had with you that have been dedicated to your headache, like imaging or blood work. Uh, Two, keep a recent diary, like the week or two before. If your headaches are frequent, to get an idea of what they're like. (laughs) And try to get a list of all the different medicines you've been on and the amount of medicine you've been on. Because often patients come to us and they've been on the right medicine but the wrong dose at the wrong time. So, for example, let's say you need 100 milligrams of a medication for four to six weeks to work, the patient was taking 20 for two weeks, stopped. That's a major cause of failure. In terms of finding a headache expert, uh, one can go to the website, like the American Headache Society, or UCNS, United Council of Neurological Subspecialties, and it has a list of all people who have been board certified in headache medicine. And you can find people in your region who have certification. And that means that they've taken an exam, and or they've completed a fellowship in headache medicine. What about dealing with the insurance? Most physicians uh, who deal with headache medicine um, are used to dealing with the insurance industry. And um, so, for example, let's say you need a drug. Often you need to fail other drugs to get it, and many physicians who do that have preformed information and relationships with the industry to know what you can and cannot get, which makes it easier. person who only occasionally deals with headache may not have that information at their fingertips. But I would say the big three problems of insurance are, one, is the doctor out of your network, and that's something you'd have to fight for. If the doctor is in your network and there is no expertise in headache, they will know what you can and cannot get, and they will fight for you to get what you need. When does a headache require urgent medical attention? Sure. When should you worry? First and foremost, the sudden onset of a severe headache that is called a thunderclap headache 
and that could be something bad until proven otherwise. It could be meningitis. It could be a bleed in the substance of your brain. It could be blood vessels going into spasm. That requires emergent care. Go to the emergency room. Two, if you have a headache that's associated with a tumor of anywhere in your body or AIDS or any other systemic illness, you need medical care urgently. Three, if there are any funny neurological signs and symptoms with your headache, such as weakness or double vision, inability to walk or talk, seek a doctor immediately. Do not waste your time. If you're an older person of 50 and you have a new headache that you never had before, seek medical care. The disorders of the elderly, like giant cell arteritis, which can make you blind if you don't treat it early and easily diagnosed by a sedimentation rate. So yeah, the, what, those are the so-called danger signals. What are the signals that make it seem the headaches are benign? They've been there unchanged for a long period of time. If they're associated with nausea, if they're associated with trouble moving, and they go away completely, and particularly if your mother, your father, your brother, sister had the same headache. What might cause or trigger a migraine, and what is the difference between a migraine with or without aura? Okay, let me start with an aura first. An aura is a group of neurological symptoms that come before or during a headache. I'll give you an example. Most common is the visual aura. What does that mean? You can be sitting there, and all of a sudden, you'll see flashing lights or zigzags. With the passage of time, the zigzags grow and grow and grow, and in the middle of that, you become blind. That is called a scintillating, meaning zigzagging, and scotoma, meaning loss of vision. That's the typical visual aura of migraine. It tends to grow over five minutes and lasts for less than an hour. Other auras can be the following. Some people can have funny smells. Some people can have pins and needles on one side of their body. Other people can be paralyzed on one side of their body or dizzy. Or, in fact, they can stop talking like that woman on television. Migraine with aura means you have the headache and you have those things attached to it. Migraine without aura means you don't have those things. You just have the headache and the associated symptoms without those neurological symptoms. What might cause or trigger a migraine? I think we should make a distinction between causing and triggering. I don't think that anything causes a migraine if you don't have the disposition for it. I think things trigger migraine headache. An example, if you drink alcohol the day after, you can have a hangover headache, which is migraine. If somebody, for example, has heart disease and needs nitroglycerin, that can trigger a migraine headache. If somebody has erectile dysfunction and takes Viagra, that can trigger a migraine headache. If you miss sleep, that can trigger a migraine headache. If you go to altitude in the mountains or an airplane, that can trigger a headache. Common things, not eating, that can produce a migraine headache. And there are many people who get uh, headaches fasting holidays because of the fact that the body cannot take it. And a very important trigger of migraine headache 
in women is menstruation. The decline in estrogen levels bring on a migraine headache. Can you talk about how migraines are treated with medicine? There are three general principles for treating migraine. Acute treatment to prevent the attack from getting worse or stopping it. Prophylactic preventative treatment to keep you from getting attacks. And general measures. Let's start with general measures. Get enough exercise. Get adequate sleep. Make sure you eat regular meals. If you're stressed out, find an activity to unstress you, whether it's yoga or biofeedback or meditation or going to the gym and pumping iron. doesn't matter. Do something. Two, acute medicine. It's been taken when you get a headache to keep it from getting worse and to stopping it. And there are several classes of medication, the most commonly used, the so-called non-steroidals like uh, over-the-counter, and aproxen, Aleve, Motrin. When you get to the next step of treatment, there are migraine-specific medicines. These are called the triptans, like sumatriptan or frovitriptan. And there are drugs that we call adjuncts, a lot of nausea and vomiting. People can take compazine or prochlorperazine or zofran. And there are other things that people can take. Get to a dark, quiet room. Put an ice pack on your head. These are the major treatment approaches. What we do not recommend, unless it's the last resort, or if the only thing that can be used is the use of narcotics for migraine. Not that narcotics are horrible and bad for migraine, but they're not as effective as the other drugs. And if you do take too much of anything, particularly narcotics, it will result in something called medication overuse or daily headache. What about some of the alternative or behavioral therapies? We are strong believers in alternative treatment. Um, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, yoga and meditation are two alternate treatments that are effective. The other things that can be done, tai chi, biofeedback, relaxation, anything where you attempt to get control of yourself, it's called locus of control. You want to be able to control your own body. These are extremely important, and if you find an activity that you can use to strengthen your control over yourself, this will help you control your migraine. Things that anybody can do, regular meals, regular bedtime, regular activity. A migrainer is sensitive to change in things, try to keep things stable. Can you talk a bit about uh, tension headaches and cluster headaches? What are they and how are they different from migraines? Okay. Tension headache is defined as the absence of migraine symptoms. No throbbing, not aggravated by movement, not severe or not moderate, and no nausea, no vomiting, no sensitivity to light, no sensitivity to sound or odor. So basically speaking, it's like a dull headache that barely bothers you. That's a tension headache. A patient with migraine often has milder headaches, and they call them tension headache, but if you ask them carefully about it, there may be a little nausea, there may be a little bit of light sensitivity. In my experience, most of the people we see with migraine also, quote-unquote, have tension headache, but are really mild migraine, and they respond to migraine treatment. Cluster headache is a different animal. Migraine headache will last anywhere from 4 to 12 hours. Cluster headache usually lasts about 30 minutes to an hour and a half. 
A patient with cluster headache can have one to five attacks per day. They're always one-sided, whereas migraine can be one or two-sided. They're always around the eye. Patient's migraine says their headache is throbbing. A patient with cluster headache says like a hot poker being driven through their eye. Their eye runs and nose tears. The patient with migraine wants to lie down. Patient with cluster headache wants to bang their head against the wall. Migraine is more common in women than men. Cluster headache is more common in men than in women. What are some of the other types of primary headaches? The other types of some are rare, some aren't rare. Um, the big one we need to talk about is my chronic migraine, which is a variant of migraine, and that means that patients have migraine headaches almost every day of their lives. There are rare disorders called TACs, T-A-C-A-S, or trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias, and they're similar to cluster headache. Uh, cluster headache may last an hour or so. A paroxysmal hemicrania may last shorter and more frequent in response to a chemical called indocin or indomethacin. And then you have these very short-lasting headaches that can last seconds or minutes occurring multiple times per day, and they're called SUNCT, S-U-N-C-T, and they are more difficult to treat. There are other types of primary headaches. Ice pick headache. You suddenly feel like you're being stuck in the head, and they occur with all different kinds of headache disorders. There's another interesting headache disorder called hypnic headache. It's like an alarm clock. It wakes you up at night every time. And people with this have noticed they've got a way of getting it better. They take a cup, believe it or not, a cup of coffee at bedtime, and it prevents them from getting it. What are some of the different types of secondary headaches? There's a whole host of different types of secondary headaches. One, if you have head trauma or post-concussion syndrome, you're like, very likely to have a headache. If you have a brain tumor, you're very likely to have a headache. If you have extremely high blood pressure, you're very likely to have a headache. If you have a stroke or a bleed in your brain, or a blood clot on the surface of your brain, you're very likely to have a headache. If you have meningitis or encephalitis or infection of the brain, you're very likely to have a headache. If the pressure in your brain is too high, you'll have a headache. If you're leaking spinal fluid from somewhere, you'll have a headache. These are some of the causes. If other causes include if the blood vessels in your brain go into spasm, that will cause a headache. Can you talk about migraines in children? Sure. There's some differences between adults and children in migraine. First, in children, migraines is common in boys and in girls until they reach adolescence. The second interesting thing is, in children, migraine headache tends to be shorter. So the headache in adults is like four hours or more. It's often only two hours in children. Those are the two major differences. The other thing is, if you have a child who's car sick, that's often the precursor to migraine later than life. I, I think the fundamental, here's a fundamental issue for everybody listening. There are patients who walk into the doctor's office and say they have three or four bad headaches a week. 
but they forget to tell the doctor or whoever else that they have headaches every day of the week. They never go away, and they're complaining only about the bad ones. So I think it's extremely important. The most important question I ask my patients, are you ever entirely pain-free, and if so, how long? Because these are the patients with chronic migraine, and just treating the individual attacks will not get them better. And I would suspect that 2% of people in the United States have chronic migraine. So actually, my next question for you was going to be, uh, do you have any parting advice for our listeners who may be suffering from migraines? I tell my patients there's hope. I promise my patients not that I'm going to cure them, but I won't give up. And in my lifetime, we have had medicines that have been introduced that have been changing. We've had new small molecules like Divalprex or Topiramate. We've had botulinum toxin. Now we have the new antibodies, and we have new things coming. We have devices that stimulate the skin or the brain or the vagus nerve. There are so many new things out there that I tell my patients who have failed elsewhere, we still have an 80 to 90% chance of getting them better. Don't give hope. There are people out there who devote their lives to getting you better. Well, Steve, I've taken up a lot of your time today. Uh, my final question for you is, what are you working on now? I, with several of my associates, write the major textbook in headache called Wolf's Headache, and I'm a senior author, and we're getting ready for that. The other thing that many of your listeners may be interested in is the use of marijuana and endocannabinoids, and we're starting to get interested in that, study that, find out what the right blend and mixture are, and we're working on medications that, believe it or not, can enhance the body's own marijuana to help control your pain without having to take something externally. That sounds great. I'd love to have you back on in the future to talk about anything else you work on. I want to thank you again for being on the show today. I really enjoyed it. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Take care. Thank you very much. And I think as those of us in the headache world have devoted our lives to helping people with headaches, thank you for featuring us. Uh, me, on behalf of all of us who work hard in the field of headaches, do you have a, a website or anything you want to direct people to? Yeah, they can go to our website. It's uh, Jefferson Headache Center at Thomas Jefferson University or the American Headache Society also has a website. 